We're fans of the corn crack on this programme, are we not, Niall? Oh, we are. I'm a big fan of corn cracks. And apparently the numbers are on the increase. Let's say hello now to Dr John Kerry, who manages the Corn Crake Life Project and oversees the National Parks and Wildlife Service Corn Crake Programme. Hello, John. How are you today? Hello, Derek. Hello, Niall. How are you doing? Great. So tell us all about this increase in numbers. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's a positive news story in what can often be a very negative space in, in, in conservation and in wildlife conservation in Ireland, Derek. But we're delighted to report that we have seen an increase in the corn crack numbers in 2023 from last year. Uh, but more importantly, the longer term trend over five years has been really positive. We've seen a 35% increase on the bird numbers since 2018. So we are operating off a very low base. But seeing those kind of increases and a little bit of range expansion in the birds too, it's something that we can be cautiously optimistic about. Now, what do you put it down to? Um, I think there's several factors at play. And when you're dealing with migratory bird species, a lot of the control is out of your hands. But for the past number of years, corn cricks, uh, they've been benefiting from more targeted action on the ground, really, where... Um, uh, schemes like the National Parks and Wildlife Service Corn Crake Grant Scheme have been working with farmers to try and, uh, I suppose, keep corn crakes breeding in their core areas. But in the last three years as well, the Corn Crake Life Project, which is funded by the EU Life Programme, it's been very, very active in key areas. And it's been very proactive in terms of the delivery of conservation measures for the birds. So rather than responding to the birds just showing up in areas, the Life Project has been building habitat for the birds so that birds, when they're successful in breeding, those young corn cricks that are born here in Ireland, they have new areas to move into and again, new areas to return to where they're safe and they've got really good quality habitat. John, well done on this. It's, as you said, a positive conservation news story for change, which is really wonderful and it's certainly a move in the right direction. Uh, obviously, corn cricks still have a, a very long way to go before they reach the levels they once were. In fact, probably because of lack of habitat, they'll never reach those historic levels. But still, it's great to see that they're becoming more secure. You mentioned there about the young birds moving into new areas. How much of a limiting factor is that? Is there a lot of corn crake habitat out there available for them to take up? Yeah, it's a great question, Niall. I mean... A lot of it first comes down to how successful the brood is. Um, you know, a corn crack female will lay 10 eggs and hopefully 10 chicks will hatch. How many of those actually make it to adulthood? The attrition rate is pretty high. Corn cracks, in terms of being a mother, after 10 days, she's no longer involved with the chicks, so they're on their own. So we first need to get those numbers up. But in terms of the habitat then, moving out into habitat, you know, you'd be surprised how much good corn crack habitat is actually out there. But habitat is not just a spatial thing, it's also a temporal thing. And corn crakes need time. They need actually quite a long time during the summer period in order to get to adulthood and successfully breed. So what we need to do is work with landowners and farmers to extend their agricultural activities later into the summer. So you could have wonderful corn crake habitat, but if a farmer has to go in there and mow that grassland for silage in you know, the end of June or the middle of July, that wonderful corn crack habitat ceases to exist immediately. It's annihilated in, in the space of about a half an hour. So a key part of it is recognising there is habitat, but then putting measures in place that we can retain that habitat well into August and possibly even early September if we can. Another limiting factor for corn crakes is that they're remarkably short-lived birds, so they don't get too many attempts to get it right. If they lose their, their broods or fail to breed for maybe two years in a row, that could be it for them. Is that a problem with the project too? 
Yeah, absolutely, Niall. I mean, we, we know that the birds live for two, three years in the wild if they're lucky. So if you take a female corncrake that lives for three years and she might only breed successfully in years two and three, she may produce 40, 40 eggs. And out of those 40 eggs, she has to replace herself in the population to keep it stable. But we need more than that. We need not just her to replace herself, but to maybe replace herself four or five times so that we can get the population up. And I think that's been the key to the success here in, in our projects so far, is that while there's such a focus on the, on the male corncrake because of his conspicuous noise, about 90% of our work is actually protecting the silent partner, which is the female. So working at the landscape level to ensure that the female is protected, her nest is protected, her chicks are protected, and indeed every single corncrake that we can is recorded and some measure put in place to protect them because every bird matters when you've got such a low number of the species. It often surprises people that a bird that is as secretive and seemingly reluctant to fly as the corncrake is a long-distance migrant. Ireland, of course, is only part of the story. We only see a fraction of their lives here. Uh, in terms of the migration of these birds, how are they being impacted, do you know, about things like, like climate change and unsettled weather patterns, food availability when they're not here with us in Ireland? And is that a factor in their survival? It's a great question, Niall, and I'm afraid we don't have all the answers to it. There's so many things that could be possibly happening on their flyway that we don't know and also in their, their wintering grounds or their non-breeding grounds really um, which we believe to be in, in the western Congo uh, similar to the Scottish birds. So there are definitely factors that impact them in terms of when they're not here in Ireland but the research back in the late 90s there was com really comprehensive research done in Scotland in the late 90s and early noughties on the birds that the factors affecting decline were all on the breeding grounds. Uh, so here in Ireland, in Scotland, in the UK, etc. So there may be things happening outside of our control. We don't know. We just don't have the research. But I'm talking to you here from Falcara in Donegal and it's early September. So we're definitely seeing a warmer climate. This may benefit birds uh, like the corncrake in Ireland because it extends their season and they're not subject to uh, really harsh weather conditions. But that's positive here, but how that impacts them on their migration and their overwintering grounds, we really don't know. So if they're still present on the breeding grounds in, in Donegal and elsewhere, when would you expect them to leave and to depart for Africa? Well, last week we had a, a very good report of about three young corncrakes that were about 20 days old. And that's quite late in the year for young birds like that. So possibly a third brood of corncrakes, who knows? But we would expect the majority of the birds to be leaving now in the next two, three weeks. Usually by mid-September, most of the birds have left. But if there was a third brood of corncrakes, which isn't unheard of, it is probably quite rare, those birds probably wouldn't be ready to leave until early October. John, uh, I wonder about things like islandization. I believe that corncrake chicks are very faithful to their origins. The ones that are born in the west of Ireland will go back to the west of Ireland. Now, is there a critical mass factor here? If they come back to the west of Ireland, they are encountering other possible breeders who also came from the west of Ireland. Uh, is that going to lead a to a certain consanguinity? Is it going to mean that the inbreeding is going to become a bit of a problem? And what are the options about moving elsewhere? Can a young corncrake decide to move to the east of Ireland or onto Scotland or where? Are they tied down as much as that? 
Yeah, well, we know that the birds have a very high habitat fidelity, especially this Western European population in Ireland and Scotland. And they generally return to within five or 10 kilometres of where they're born. Now, there was fantastic research done on birds in Germany where they were radio tagged. And they actually discovered that those birds uh, moved around an awful lot more than our birds did. Uh, and there were actually, a lot of the males were somewhat nomadic in that uh, they might arrive to an area, but they'll push on into a new area. So they were a little bit maybe more exploratory than our Western populations. But there's another kind of question there that we'd love to be able to answer is that I think we have no doubt that our Irish population of corncrakes are somehow inherently linked to the Scottish population as well. Uh, when we looked at population trends between 2013, 2014 and 2015, that's when we had the last significant spike in the number of birds in Ireland and it coincided exactly with a large spike in the number of birds in Scotland as well. So you kind of might wonder, is that a metapopulation of birds that actually mix on the wintering grounds? And perhaps we get a few Scottish ones coming back with our Irish ones, so there's a little bit of mixing, genetic mixing going on, hopefully. But also we've seen in the last couple of years uh, Irish birds, well, birds returning to Ireland, showing up in non-traditional areas. So like this year, we had a bird on the Aran Islands, and that was the first time in about 25 years that a corncrake arrived to the Aran Islands. And he spent all summer there. So he definitely had a partner because if he didn't, he would have left. We've also seen birds reestablish themselves in County Kerry. And this year, again, we've seen range expansion into parts of South Donegal where we didn't have birds for several years. So... They do have a high habitat fidelity, but I'm sure that within that population, there are kind of outlier birds that are going to push that habitat fidelity, somewhat nomadic, perhaps even birds not born in Ireland, but mixing with that Irish population in the overwintering grounds. So they're, they're enigmatic birds and we know so much about them, but we have so much to learn about them too. Can I ask you about preparations you make for corncrakes before they arrive at all? I believe that it is a good idea to grow nettles, nettles, um, or not grow them, but allow nettles to develop or crops or whatever, where the corncrakes, when they arrive from Africa, can rest up and hide and where they are safe. Also, you should cut from the centre of the field outwards and not from the outside inwards. Are these methods being successful? Have they been tested? Is cutting from the inside still going on and is it more widespread now than it was? Yeah, Richard, we've kind of three key aspects to the conservation action for corncrakes that we call early, middle and late. Early cover refers to that early cover that you mentioned, which is crucial for the birds. So when they arrive back to Ireland in mid-April to these coastal areas, because they're almost entirely coastal now, growth is very, very limited. So if we have natural herbaceous canopy forming plants in large clusters such as nettles, cow parsley, common hogweed, that becomes a target for the birds. They like that type of cover, so it attracts them. So we are actively creating blocks of ground like that with farmers in their fields. It's very difficult, in fact, to grow nettles when you want them to grow. They often grow where you don't want them to grow. Uh, but the other factor, of course, is growing crops. Corncrakes didn't get their names. They're not nettle crakes. And we know that the birds really do enjoy using crops, particularly late in the season. So we've begun growing crops such as oats and kale and tritic kale and buckwheat 
And what this has also done is created heterogeneity within the landscape, so the birds have more options when they return. The second part of it then is middle, which is middle out mowing or wildlife friendly mowing, where contractors cut the meadows from the centre of the field to the outside, which gives the birds a chance to run into continuous cover and escape from the mower. And I'm delighted to say out of the 1500 hectares we had in the project this year, every field in the project by default undertakes wildlife friendly mowing, which is monitored by our team. So it's far more widespread. And that wildlife friendly mowing is now also linked into what we call refuge areas. So farmers sign up to leave a five metre margin or a nice big headland in the field. So not only does the bird have somewhere to escape into, there's a refuge kept in place for anywhere from two weeks to a month so that the bird has continuous cover and a corridor to move between fields. And the final part of it, of course, is late. The later you mow the meadow, the better for the birds. So the longer that farmers are willing to leave their fields for us and for the birds, the more reward they get in terms of their financial payment. Well, it's great news. A 35% increase. John, congratulations to you and the team. And we'll talk to you again. Thanks a million, John. Thanks very much, Derek.